Turn with me, if you would, to Luke chapter 10, to verse 17. Luke 10, 17 through 24. Hear now the word of the Lord. Then the seventy returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I give you the authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the saints are subject to you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. In that hour, Jesus rejoiced in the spirit and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and the prudent and revealed them to babes. Even so, Father, for so it seemed good in your sight. All things have been delivered to me by my Father, and no one knows who the Son is except the Father, and who the Father is except the Son, and the one to whom the Son wills to reveal him. Then he turned to his disciples and said privately, Blessed are the eyes which see the things you see. For I tell you that Many prophets and kings have desired uh, to see what you see and have not seen it and to hear what you hear but have not heard it. May the Lord bless this reading to our good understanding. This is a very fertile passage that we have before us this morning. And we can focus on a number of different dimensions in it. Uh, election, reprobation, these kinds of subjects. Um, the Trinity will probably touch on all of them to some degree, but the main, th- the main theme that I wanted to focus on was this sentence in verse 21, in that hour Jesus rejoiced in the Spirit and said. So we have here a picture of our Lord Jesus in his incarnation, in his humanity, rejoicing in his spirit or in the spirit because of of his reflections, what he's thinking about, what he sees. Now, uh, this is a unique chapter. This, This rejoicing of heart does not come without reason or out of nothingness. But we see that this is a unique chapter in Jesus' life and in the ministry, in his ministry here upon this earth. Because these sentences come about after he has, after the 70 that he sent out have returned. And so it's in that context that he rejoices. He had sent out in in chapter, in chapter 9, he had sent out the 12. And they had gone on a preaching ministry. So our Lord Jesus went and gathered up disciples and began to tutor them and disciple them. And then at a certain point, he begins to send them out. First the 12, and then a larger group of 70 men uh, who were attendant to the 12 and to Jesus' teachings. He sends them out. And in both cases, uh, they do great things. They go out with great authority. 
and they come back and they are able to do miracles and blessings and that sort of thing. And so in this passage that we just read, <clears throat> verse 17, it says, then the 70 returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. Now, what the fantastic, what this fantastic chapter brings forth is that as Jesus has come into the world to minister to men and to announce the messianic kingdom, we now see it beginning to take hold. He's taught. He's he's dedicated himself to this to these large, uh, spheres of disciples. The the three uh, uh, Peter, James, and John. Uh, then to the twelve. Then to the seventy. To the hundred and twenty. There are these concentric circles to which Jesus has been ministering. He's been teaching them about the coming of the kingdom of God. And now he has sent them out. And now by their own hands, they have seen some of the capacity of this kingdom of which Jesus has begun to preach. And so as they come back to him, his heart is made glad because he can see that his messianic work, that his messianic um, work list, uh, the, the, the construction, the bringing to pass of this kingdom, that it's actually working. And so as he, as he looks at what's taken place, uh, he has joy in his heart. The, the heart of our Lord Jesus Christ rejoices as he looks out at these things. I'm reminded of how um, sometimes prescient minds minds that see can see the uh, big picture, that sometimes these minds get excited by what they see. I was thinking about the, the biggest revolution in our lives today is the, the revelation or the revolution of knowledge uh, between literal and virtual, uh, between human activity and uh, what we might call e-activity, in the internet and that sort of thing. And... Um, now we're all taken up with a whole bunch of stuff like that that previous generations had no idea of. Now the leaders of these, this movement, I think of Bill Gates and Steve Jobs, when you read their biographies, you, you, you sense at certain points in their uh, sojourn or their development, you sense that they, they envisioned what was to come. And they got downright excited about it. Now neither one of these men is particularly spiritual. Neither one claims to be a Christian. But in terms of the worldly things, in terms of the, um, uh, the cultural development of the world, they, have, they had a great role to play. And they're still, uh, well, Mr. Jobs is gone now, but, uh, but uh, uh, Bill Gates is still going. And uh, we, we wish that he was uh, more enlightened than he is. But he, in, in terms of the vocational calling that God gave him, he did see a whole world opening up that the rest of us cannot imagine, and he was excited about it. I think of um, uh, Gary North, who some of us have read some of his books and things like that. I remember a, an article that he wrote, oh, years ago now, before the, just as the cell phone was beginning to come to pass, he had, a, he had a number, for about a year, he focused on the fact that if Christians had the capacity that they ought to try to 
They, they should get into the lottery. The federal government was make, making a lottery of these uh, areas that certain cell phone towers would cover. And Gary was adamant. He said, and now this cost, I forget, it was like four, five, six thousand dollars to, 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 to get into the lottery for each one of these sites. And he advised, he said, if you have an extra $25,000 or something like that, which at that time, that was an empty dream in my, in my mind. But he said, if you had that money, he said, definitely get it. Because he said, if you win one of these lotteries, and um, I, don't, I just don't know how many people were um, doing this, but um, if, if you won one of these lotteries and got ownership of one of these cell towers, then that had had a tremendous economic promise for you for the future. Now, what what I think what I find fascinating about that is that he was so excited about this, and whether whether because of my incapacity financially, or whether my my short sightedness, technically, I just I thought well this is a bridge that is so far from reality for me. I mean I I just couldn't afford to make that kind of a venture, make that kind of an effort. But uh, I, I, I mean, I could see he was excited, but I just wasn't there. And, uh, and now, 50 years later, I suppose, something like that, now I can, see, I can see what he saw. He saw the development of the cell phone and all of the technology that would go into our cell phones. Now, they're not just cell phones, they're smartphones now. And for people that are prescient, that have the, have the eyes to see, it's hard not to be excited about these things that are coming to pass. Well, that's, that's in, in small part that about which Jesus was excited on this occasion. Because in Jesus' mind, we don't just have the affairs of this world that are going to occupy us for the next century or so. But we have, in Jesus' mind, the program of Father, Son, and Holy Ghost that had existed from the very creation of mankind, and really even before that, because these were eternal ideas. And so as eternity comes and meets the hard ground of reality and history, we see the Lord Jesus upon this earth, and uh, he has come. He's been, he's been born as a baby. He's grown up, and now he's begun his public ministry. And he's taught these men. He's called them, and he's taught them. And now he's sent them forth, first the 12 and then the 70. And they've come back with these reports. Uh, it says that this in verse 17, the 70 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And so they come back, these simple men, these people like you and I. And as they went out, and as the Spirit inspired them to take on this challenge and that challenge, to, to lay their hands on this sick person or that sick person, to rebuke the devils and the demons as they saw them possessing different people and uh, bothering them and uh, obstructing their lives, as they saw, as they called upon out in Jesus' name for these things to be um, overcome by grace. It happened. And so they came back and they were so enthused. And so Jesus, as he sees this, he says, in that hour, Jesus rejoiced in the spirit and said, spoke to them further. So this is a wonderful, a, a wonderful coming to pass 
of this premonition that Jesus had, these revelations that he would have enjoyed in his divine nature, certainly, and then in his human nature, all of these things come to pass, and he can see what a lovely thing is happening here upon this earth where trouble seems to assert itself at almost every turn. I couldn't help but thinking about how there was an analogy here between this sentiment of our Lord Jesus and the meal about which we're to partake. The meal is totally contrary in terms of human means or physical means. It's totally contrary to evident joy that we might have. These are simple things. We're not, uh, unlike Rome, we are not changing by some sort of divine magic the, the, the bread into the body, the literal body of Christ, or the wine into the literal blood of Christ. We don't have those powers. But as we lift up the cup and as we eat the bread, we have sentiments of the gospel and the kingdom that should waft through our minds and our hearts. And we may be inspired by the Spirit today in the same way that Jesus was inspired then because all of these things are of God and they're bright and they're wonderful. And so um, uh, we see here that Jesus rejoiced. Now I want to focus just shortly on a number of the reasons for why he rejoiced in this text and why some of the things that are brought out here that you might catch some of the excitement. Do you have the eyes to see the kingdom of God? Jesus says, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom. But Jesus uh, did not need to be born again because he was already in the spirit in that ineffable triune way that Father, Son, and Holy Spirit enjoy each other's fellowship. And so Jesus did rejoice on this day. He could see that the kingdom of God was coming to pass. Are you excited today? Or has the, have the realities of the world um, as so encumbered you that you cannot see the kingdom? Are you blind to the progress of the kingdom? Are you blind to the glory of the kingdom? Our Lord here shows us that in his day, once there was so much left to be done, he had to yet climb that cross. He had to finish his walk. He had to climb the cross. He had to suffer for sin. It was an appalling thing. And yet he rejoiced in the spirit because he could see these things coming. And so God gives us this sacrament that we might open our eyes and perceive things that are yet unseen to us and rejoice in the spirit ourselves. And so, why did Jesus rejoice on this occasion? Well, first of all, obviously, he rejoiced that the 70 had returned to him. He sent them out. He he said that uh, he was sending them out as lambs to the slaughter, that there was trouble out there in the world, that there were difficulties, that there were enemies, that there were obstacles, that there was resistance to his message, and he sends them out. He doesn't even go with them. He sends them out two by two. Two simple people going here to this city. Another two going to another city. And they come back. And they are full. They are full of excitement and stories about what the Lord did with them and through them. As they went out on this occasion. So our Lord Jesus was was glad. And he rejoiced that the 70 had returned. The Spirit gave him excitement. 
that progress was on the march. Uh, secondly, Jesus was rejoiced because he could see that the kingdom of God was at hand. He could see that some of the things that were spoken of to Adam and Eve, that they were coming to pass. In the Old Testament, the kingdom was only prefigured. It was promised, it was prophesied, but it had not yet come to pass. But when uh, the, the Lamb of God appeared to take the place of the ceremonial lamb on the altar, the eschatology of redemption, was being fulfilled in, in new and dramatic ways. And so Jesus began to announce the kingdom of God is here. The kingdom of God is at hand. And when he sent out the 70, he told them to announce that too. And so when they came back, he rejoiced that the kingdom was at hand. In that day, there was no finished sacrifice. There was no real obtained righteousness. It was soon to come, but it was not yet there. And in that day, there was no Christian church. Even in nascent form, there was not even one single Christian church anywhere. But today we look, and though we are still oppressed, we are everywhere. Everywhere around the world. And our groups may not be powerful, they may not be great in number. Who could imagine that you could raise up an RP church in Southwest Ohio like we have done here? And we wouldn't have done it except that the grace of God was with us. And so Jesus rejoiced that the kingdom of God was at hand. Thirdly, Jesus rejoiced because of the significance of this since Adam fell, because of the millennia that had gone, that gone past. We see in verse 22 that um, Jesus says, uh, all things have been delivered to me by my Father. And no one knows who the Son is except the Father, and the Father except the Son, and the one to whom the Son wills to reveal him. So Jesus was a, a spirit rejoiced in the Spirit because his Father had chosen to reveal, to, to reveal by the Son certain things, and the Son now was revealing the Father by certain things that he did, and it was working, and people were coming to faith, and people were joining this band of disciples. And so Jesus rejoiced because of the significance of this. Fourthly, we see in verse 20 that Jesus speaks about how the, there's a glory to this ministry because it involved the elect and the Father's election. We see the very first thing he says, he said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and prudent and revealed them to babes. So Jesus Jesus exalts in the very thing that so many people today think is the fatal flaw of Calvinism, so-called Calvinism. They say, how can you preach this stuff that forbids by its doctrines everyone universally coming to faith? Now, we believe that our faith ought to be preached universally to everyone. We believe in the, the end that all tongues will confess and all knees shall bow. That is, But that's all the elect. But Jesus glorified in election and reprobation. Jesus glorified in that. He could see the, the beauty of it. Why? Because this was the will of the Father. So he, he articulates that here. Even as the Father has, uh, has, even so, Father, for so it seemed good in your sight. The end of verse 21. So Jesus rejoiced in the elect. And in the Father's plans for the elect to be saved from their sin. And anointed with righteousness, as we sang in uh, 
in Psalm 103a, who with love and mercy crowns thee, satisfies thy mouth with good, so that even like the eagle thou art blessed with youth renewed. In his righteousness Jehovah will deliver those distressed. He will execute just judgment in the cause of all oppressed. And so God will, uh, will follow just judgment. He will judge the saints, but the elect will be covered with righteousness, and they will be exalted. And so Jesus rejoiced here because of the exaltancy of the elect. Fifthly, Jesus rejoiced at the Trinitarian joy that he felt here. He, he rejoices, it says in verse 17, uh, in the spirit. But then it mentions immediately, in that hour, Jesus rejoiced in the spirit and said, I, that is the son, Thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and revealed them unto babes. So here, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost confront the return of the 70 and the, the, the coming to pass of their great plans. And they rejoice as a trinity of persons of the Godhead. How blessed, how wonderful. Sixthly, and lastly, Jesus rejoiced that the disciples could see it. We see that in verse 23. He turned to his disciples and said privately, Blessed are the eyes which see the things you see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings have desired to see what you see and have not seen it, and to hear what you hear and have not heard it. Think of some of the great men of antiquity, Plato and Aristotle, Socrates, who knew nothing of Jesus Christ. But these simple followers, these disciples, these followers of Moses and Isaiah and Jeremiah, it was real unto them because God has a specific and particular plan of redemption for his people, and it's glorious. And so Jesus says these disciples saw it and they heard it. He rejoiced. The eternal power of God was working even in the fallen race of men where they had a virus so bad that it killed them. And except for supernatural work of redemption, they would not see or hear anything. But men were born again. They, their hearts were changed. Their eyes were opened and they could see. And so in that hour, Jesus rejoiced in the Spirit. Is it not lovely to think in the terms of the humanity of our Lord Jesus Christ, in the humanity of our Lord Jesus Christ, that he could be excited, so excited, by seeing such things involving his people. So he's excited with us here in southwest Ohio. He's excited with us, and so we should be. We should be enthused as we partake of these elements, simple as they are, inefficient as they are, impotent as they are in themselves, yet they are potent and powerful in the hands of the Holy Spirit because they were decreed by the Father and worked out in the, by the Son. And we, they, they, the, the, the elements represent the very essence of the ministry of our Lord Jesus Christ, his body that body that worked out righteousness by its effort, that body that did everything that Moses had prescribed, 
day by day, from infancy on through young adulthood, through his teenage years, through his young manhood, through all of these steps, the body of our Lord Jesus Christ was working out righteousness so that it might be given to us by imputation, ascribed to our accounts, even though our accounts had not worked it up. But the body of Christ did that, and the righteousness of Christ was represented in his blood. When the blood of the animal sacrifice was spilled, it was both a sign of sacrifice and a sign of righteousness, because the, the blood of the the lamb, the spotless lamb was to be sprinkled upon the people ceremoniously through the hyssop branch. And our Lord Jesus Christ represents that all in terms of his real life. And so that was glorious. And so he rejoiced that the disciples could see it, and he rejoiced that that had come to pass. And so I would exhort you today, so let us rejoice today at the Lord's Supper that Jesus left us a secret meal. He left us a secret meal. The world passes by and it doesn't understand it. He's a, it says, why do these Christians do this? The early, in the earliest days, the, the Christians were accused of cannibalism. The, the outsiders understood it so little, so imperfectly. It's a secret meal. Other people can't see it. They don't understand it. But when we eat, we eat and drink the death of Christ and the righteousness of Christ to ourselves as he has ordained it. <clears throat> Spurgeon wrote, the church has a deep well of joy of which none can drink but her own children. Psalm 46 says there is a, there is a well spring that makes glad the city of God. Brothers and sisters, we have every reason to rejoice and to be glad in him, especially on a day like this. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, we pray that, that you would give us a sense of the excitement and the joy of our Lord Jesus Christ, that we would, that we would see by this vignette of his joy in his humanity, that we would see and, and rejoice ourselves, that something could so excite our Lord Jesus, help us, O oh God, to see with the same seeing that he saw that day. Even though we have not seen the 70 come back, have we not seen the work of the 70? 70 times 7 we have seen in this world by the missionary activity. The fulfillment of Matthew 28, where people have been sent, Christians have been sent into all four corners of the world, teaching and preaching whatsoever he has commanded bringing people to the fruition of faith. Bless us, O Lord, in this secret meal. Help us to have a sense, a spiritual sense of the joy which Jesus had during this portion of his earthly ministry. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.